Good morning. The word of God from Isaiah 58, 1 through 8. The prophet Isaiah teaches about fasting that pleases God. Shout loudly. Don't be quiet. Yell as loud as a trumpet. Confront my people with their rebellious deeds. Confront Jacob's family with their sin. They seek me day after day. They want to know my requirements, like a nation that does what is right and does not reject the law of their God. They ask me for just decrees. They want to be near God. They lament, why don't you notice when we fast? Why don't you pay attention when we humble ourselves? Look, at the same time you fast, you satisfy your selfish desires. You oppress your workers. Look, your fasting is accompanied by arguments, brawls, and fistfights. Do not fast as you do today, trying to make your voice heard in heaven. Is this really the kind of fasting I want? Do I want a day when people merely humble themselves, bowing their heads like a reed and stretching out on sackcloth and ashes? Is this really what you call a fast, a day that is pleasing to the Lord? No, this is the kind of fast I want. I want you to remove the sinful chains to tear away the ropes of the burdensome yoke, to set free the oppressed, and to break every burdensome yoke. I want you to share your food with the hungry and to provide shelter for homeless, oppressed people. When you see someone naked, clothe him. Don't turn your back on your own flesh and blood. Then your light will shine like the sunrise. Your restoration will quickly arrive. Your godly behavior will go before you and the Lord's splendor will be your rear guard. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Megan, for reading Isaiah 58 for us. If you have a copy of God's word, I encourage you to turn to Matthew 6. I believe that's page 859 in the Bible under the seat in front of you. Dave, on behalf of our church, thank you for bringing that encouragement Uh, As pastors, we have desired to lean into the Harbor Network partnership more deeply. We tried last year to to make some connections happen, and it just didn't work out. Dave and I were talking last week that providentially this just seems like the season God had bringing us through last year, tightening up some things as a church family, and now really ready to enter into that partnership more deeply. So I'm, I'm thankful you're here. Anna, so glad you could join him with your daughters. So we're in the middle of a series on the Lord's Prayer, where we are looking at what it means to practice our partnership with God, who is at work in our world, practicing that partnership through prayer. But today, we're going to address something closely connected to prayer, something that our Lord addressed in his Sermon on the Mount immediately after this particular section on prayer. And that theme, that topic is fasting. But let me explain why we are moving out of order to jump into this particular theme. Well, first, we are in a season called Lent. This season has been traditionally observed by Christians for generations long before the Roman Catholic Church existed in its current form. Lent begins on Ash Wednesday, which is 40 days before Easter, after you subtract out the Sundays. 
So weekly, Sundays are intended to be mini Easter's where we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So you pull those Sundays out, 40 days before Easter lands you on Ash Wednesday. And some Christians lean into this season heavily in order to focus their attention upon God, doing so through spiritual disciplines like generosity and hospitality and prayer and fasting. So it's highly appropriate for us to pause in this season to see exactly what the Bible says about fasting. And the second reason we are moving out of order is this. We value partnership in gospel ministry, so we thought it necessary to take part of our gathering time together to reintroduce the Harbor Network. And in about an hour or so, don't count the clock or watch the minutes, but roughly in about an hour, we are going to feast together. There are delicious soups and chilies, desserts and chips, and we are excited to share a meal with the Owens family and learn more about Harbor Network. So on a day of feasting, what more appropriate time than to talk about fasting? And don't worry, I'm feeling the tension as well, the irony of the given situation. But I actually am not sure that that tension is warranted, that it's necessary. Feasting and fasting are connected by more than just food. We feast as Christians in celebration of God's provision. And we fast in order to demonstrate that God is greater in our hearts to us than His provision, than His gifts. Dave Mathis, in his book on the spiritual disciplines titled Habits of Grace, says it like this. Fasting is largely overlooked and too often forgotten. But true feasting is also in decline through familiarity, overuse, and lack of spiritual purpose. When every day becomes a feast, then no day is truly one. We need to recover the spiritual significance of feasting together in faith, not simply indulging, but explicitly celebrating together on special occasions the bounty and kindness of our Creator and Redeemer. He goes on to say, daily restraint both keeps our stomachs primed for times of fasting and makes possible a kind of special indulgence on feast days. So on this day, which will be a feast day for us as a church, should we prime our stomachs a little bit by looking at the spiritual discipline of fasting? As a church, one of the ways we celebrate or rather define success, one of the metrics we have for success is when we see someone growing in self-awareness and humble repentance. Now, the idea of self-awareness or self-knowledge is not new or original with us as a church. In fact, it was John Calvin, one of the great reformers, who said this, true and sound wisdom consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. So true wisdom equals the knowledge of God and 
self-awareness. But as Kevin Young points out, the goal of self-awareness is not simply to discern our personality type or to figure out our giftedness or to get in touch with our past, though all of those things have their place. For Calvin, knowledge of self is essential because we will only begin to seek after God when we begin to become displeased with ourselves. So growing in self-awareness and awareness means we're coming to grips with what Jack Miller has said and that you will hear us say frequently around here, cheer up, you're a worse sinner than you ever dared imagine, and cheer up, you are more loved and accepted than you ever dared hope in Christ. So healthy self-awareness for the Christian involves penetrating deeper into both halves of that statement. I'm a worse sinner than I ever dared imagine. But if we end there, that's not gospel. The second half is important. I'm more loved and accepted in Christ than I ever dared hope. But self-awareness means diving deeper into both realities. So how does this relate to fasting? Well, forgive all the quotes to begin us this morning, but Augustine, another church father, helps us here. For the most part, he says, the human mind cannot attain to this self-awareness except by some kind of experimental and not merely verbal self-interrogation. I think that's a good shorthand for fasting. Experimental self-interrogation. We might use the word experiential in place of experimental. I wonder if you have ever taken the time to interrogate your heart experientially by way of experiencing something in order to grow in your self-awareness of where your loves truly lie. Fasting is one means by which we experiment and experience in order to uncover the deep desires of our heart. Lloyd-Jones is a famous British pastor in the late 1900s said this, fasting must not be confined to only food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. So fasting is a spiritual discipline by which we experience loss willingly, by which we embrace self-denial and allow the sense of that loss to uncover where our worship is truly oriented. It's experimental self-interrogation. So let's ask three questions this morning concerning fasting. We're actually, actually going to use three passages of Scripture in order to answer these three questions. Number one, what is fasting? Two, why should I consider fasting? And three, when will the need for fasting end? Question number one, what is fasting? Now, like I said, we're going to touch on three different passages, and Megan just read for us 
Isaiah 58. And we overheard in that passage God rebuking His people. The issue was not that they fasted, but that their outer fasting was not connected to an inner love for God and for others. Mark Luazo and I discussed this passage yesterday, and his thoughts were really helpful here. Fasting for those in Isaiah's day was merely transactional, a works-based righteousness seeking favor from God. They would fast, God would be pleased, God would reward them. But they were ignoring their outright disobedience to God in other areas. Their desire to know God more deeply through self-denial by fasting was contradicted by their lack of self-denial in the financial, social, public space. It was going to cost them money and time and effort to care for the poor and to feed the hungry and to free the oppressed. But to them, fasting was the more palatable route, pun intended. So fasting had become a completely selfish exercise in their minds, opening the door to God's benefits without sacrificing in love for others. So that's one passage, Isaiah 58. In Matthew 9, a couple of pages ahead of where you are at in Matthew 6, we read this story from the life of Jesus. John's disciples came to Jesus and asked, Why do we fast, and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples won't fast? So Jesus said to them, The wedding guests cannot mourn while the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. See here, Jesus assumes, even predicts, we might say, that his followers will fast when he's no longer present on the earth. And they will fast as a sign of mourning for the loss of his physical presence and anticipation and in anticipation for his future coming. And then here in Matthew 6, we have Jesus' words immediately after his teaching on prayer. And you see it there in verse 16. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others when you are fasting, but only to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So with these three keystone passages on fasting in mind, let's attempt a definition of what fasting is. Fasting is a spiritual discipline in which we willingly embrace loss and self-denial by subtracting from our lives the fulfillment of real or perceived needs. For what purpose? Well, in order to, by faith, give space for God to awaken deeper longings within us for His presence. We'll leave that up on the screen for a moment for you to think about and meditate on. Fasting 
is what we do out of hope and expectation and in faith for what God will do. It is that hope and that expectation of what God will do that helps us keep fasting out of the realm of works-based righteousness and in the realm of faith. Let's just think about our lives for a moment. We live saturated and satiated lives, don't we? Think about your garage. Think about your fridge or your pantry. Think about your closet. Think about the apps on your smartphone. My guess is saturation, fullness, plenty may well describe any one of those areas. And when our lives are saturated with the gifts of God, we are constantly in danger of those gifts beginning to take the place of God himself. We are in constant danger of flirting with missing out on the presence of God, his presence with us to bless us because we are so distracted by what is saturating our lives. We are distracted with the presence of so much else. Donald Whitney, is in his book on the spiritual disciplines, notes that we live in a, quote, gluttonous, denial-less, self-indulgent age. And before we stay comfortable pointing the finger out there, let's recognize that these three adjectives rest well upon each of us. I've told you this before, gluttony is something I routinely struggle with. And simply because I have a metabolism that hides it and eating restrictions that make it harder to act out that gluttony, gluttony for me is still a struggle. See, that's part of the issue. We think in terms of externals. Well, you can't possibly be a gluttonous person if you look thin and like you don't have an eating problem. But gluttony is not an external issue. It's a matter of the heart. And fasting is intended to get to the matters of the heart because we can be gluttonous with our entertainment. We can be gluttonous with our social media intake. We can be gluttonous with how much news we take in or how many sports we engage in. We can even be gluttonous with the, the amount of extracurricular activities our kids are involved in. If there's a good gift, our hearts will find a way to make it gluttonous. Fasting is radically countercultural. It's embracing loss and self-denial. And in one sense, fasting is the ultimate rebellion in a cultural moment that says there is no higher ethical ideal for you than self-fulfillment. And fasting says, actually, that's not the case. So before we go further, I'm guessing there may be some objections that have already popped up in people's minds. 
perhaps you're thinking, isn't fasting kind of legalistic? Aren't you imposing upon us something by which we ought to judge our spiritual lives? It just seems legalistic. And the fact of the matter is, if we engage in a fast in order to earn favor with God, then yes, it is nothing more than a legalistic maneuver. It can be a form of ritualistic manipulation. It can even be a project in our own self-fulfillment. We want to be a better human being in some way, so a fast is the next means toward that. Becoming the visibly spiritual person that you desire others to see you as. And if fasting is nothing more than an effort at finding our righteousness and acceptance before God in an activity, then yes, it's legalistic and it's worthless. But fasting is to be done in hope and expectation of experiencing the presence of God more deeply, not as something we do to secure that from God, not as a means by which we manipulate Him to get what we want. So fasting is not inherently legalistic. But some of you aren't on that train of thought. You're on the train of thought of, wait, isn't fasting a bit drastic? Like, aren't there some spiritual disciplines we can engage in that aren't quite as, I don't know, monkish? Yes, fasting is drastic. But it's no more drastic than the entirety of the Christian life. It seems drastic, just like anything else that upends our culture's creed that self-fulfillment is to be gotten at any cost. So it seems drastic. But fasting for us is one reminder of what is so easy to forget. The Christian life is a life of self-denial. Jesus said, whoever will follow me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Our Lord demonstrated this self-denial, and he calls us to a life of self-denial. But there may be others sitting here thinking, wait, isn't fasting unhealthy? Brokenness in our world means that our bodies are broken. And for some, fasting from food is unhealthy due to medical complications. And for others, through our own brokenness and the brokenness of what we've experienced, it's possible to twist fasting into an eating disorder. So that means that for some, fasting from food would not only be unwise and unhealthy, but even wrong. It would become just another expression of our attempts at self-salvation and self-fulfillment. But the thing about fasting is that it doesn't require fasting from food. Not everyone should fast from a real need like food. But if you're a Christian, you can and at some point should consider fasting from something that you think you need like coffee, or TV shows, or news intake, or social media. 
So question number two, why should I consider fasting? Well, in Matthew 9, 14, Jesus said, the days are coming when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and then they will fast. Our Lord Jesus, the bridegroom, resurrected from the grave and he ascended into heaven. And we are waiting for him. We are longing for his return. And in the meantime, he was gracious to send us another comforter, the person of the Holy Spirit, to indwell us and empower us to live lives that honor him and glorify him. But fasting is, in some sense, now mourning the loss of the physical presence of Jesus. It is cultivating deeper longing for His presence now, even while anticipating His future coming by faith. So that means you should consider fasting, perhaps first, because of your pain. Your Savior is gone. He is not here physically. And you live in a broken world that is waiting for redemption. So your body may be deteriorating. Your relationships may be rocky. Your heart may feel like it's on the verge of breaking due to some unfulfilled desires and expectations. But friends, Jesus is Lord, Savior, and satisfaction. And fasting is a means by which you invite Jesus as your satisfaction to meet you in the midst of your dissatisfaction and your pain. Embracing self-denial and loss to invite Jesus into that space. Awakening those deeper longings for some sense of the presence of your Lord here and now in some small degree an experience of his presence that he has promised will be your everlasting perpetual delight. But maybe you should also consider fasting because of your position, not just your pain. Our Lord is in heaven exalted. His suffering is past. We are on earth. As followers of Jesus, we've been united to his death, yes, and his resurrection but also we are participants in his suffering. We are waiting for his return and we find ourselves daily beset by idols and sins that would squelch the power and presence of the Spirit in our lives. And the world system and our flesh and the devil, none of them are friends to our godliness and our growth in godliness. So maybe you should consider fasting because of the danger of your position in order to focus your attention upon the stability of your life in Jesus. Third, consider fasting for the, shape, for the sake of sharpening prayer. If you fast from food, the sharp pain of hunger becomes an intensifier to your prayers. You are saying to God, to paraphrase John Piper, I want you more than this thing that I'm separating from. 
he describes fasting as the exclamation point at the end of that statement. And fourth, maybe you should consider fasting because of your pride. Throughout the Old Testament, fasting was a way to express deep humility and repentance and contrition. And in repentance, we turn from evil to God. And in fasting, we turn from a good thing to God. And so fasting can be uniting of the both, turning from evil to God in repentance and turning from something good to express to God that good is not nearly as good as I consider you to be. So if you are not yet a Christian, maybe you're exploring Christianity. Or maybe, honestly, you're trying to figure out if you're on the way, on your way out the door of Christianity. Can I speak to you for just a moment? You don't need to fast. You need to feast on Jesus. Fasting doesn't provide saving grace. Only Jesus provides saving grace. His life, his death, his resurrection in your place for your sin and brokenness are offered to you as spiritual food to feast on regularly by repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ alone for salvation. Deep down, you know that you have been hungry your whole life and you have sought for satisfaction for that hunger in so many different places and spaces and spheres and people and ideas. And you have not yet found something that can truly satisfy you. Jesus is that one who can. So friend, turn to Jesus. That is what you need to hear from this message this morning. So question number one, what is fasting? Number two, why should I consider fasting? And question number three, when will the need for fasting end? Remember Jesus' words in Matthew 9 that we read a few moments ago. He asked this question, the wedding guests cannot mourn while the bridegroom is with them, can they? Well, when Jesus is present, his people don't fast. And in the book of Revelation, we read these words. Revelation 19, Blessed are those who are invited to the banquet at the wedding celebration of the Lamb. Friends, when we see Jesus at his second coming in the flesh, victorious over all his enemies, having brought us safely all the way home, then fasting will be no more. There'll be no need. He is the fulfillment of our fasting. So in the here and now, in the in-between, in the not yet of our waiting, when we say no to something good for a time in order to say yes to something better, cultivating a deeper longing for the presence of God within us and among us, 
We have this assurance. Those deep longings will be completely fulfilled. God himself is going to set a table for us. He's going to bid us to come to the feast of all feasts. The feast of which every earthly celebration is but a pale shadow in comparison. And when that day comes, fasting will be a thing of the past. And for all of eternity, it will be merely time to feast. In a few moments, we're going to feast in two different ways. We're going to feast as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Every Sunday, Jesus invites us to a meal. And we're going to, after that, enjoy a meal together. I hope you stuff yourself. I hope you get seconds and thirds. I hope you enjoy it. Because we're going to feast joyfully. We're going to feast with a fist raised against all that is broken and sad in this world. And in delight of the morning that's coming. But after the fat, feast, as we scatter to our different spheres of daily life, I want to ask you to reflect on this question. What might God, by His Spirit, be inviting you to when it comes to fasting? And maybe as you meet in your life groups this week, that's a question worth asking and talking about. Consider inviting your community into that question for prayer and for encouragement. Would you bow your head with me now as we pray? Father, if we're honest, our hearts are full when we contemplate the feast that is coming in eternity. And Father, we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Our hearts and our bodies and our world is broken. We're longing for true, lasting healing. Father, until that day, would you grant us the courage to be radically countercultural? To reject the cultural narrative that says self fulfillment is the highest ideal. and to embrace, rather, the cross-shaped life. A, cross, a, a life of self-denial, suffering, pain, because of the joy that is set before us as was set before Jesus. Father, would you give wisdom discernment to 
your children sitting here as we consider what it may be that you are calling us to consider fasting from for a season, whether that's a day or a week or a month or longer. Father, would you be kind to use this spiritual discipline to awaken within our hearts deeper longings, base-level foundational longings that we've neglected by the fullness of our lives. Father, we ask you to do this because we believe it would honor you, honor our Lord. And we trust you to do what will bring you the most glory, knowing that you have nothing but our good in mind. We pray these things in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.